0: cox bringing us closer in cox serviceable areas speeds vary and are not guaranteed cox terms apply other restrictions may apply what am i gonna do what about the future gotta draw the line without delay why shouldn't i get emotional the bush is sacred Ancient life will fade away Over the hill they go, killing another mountain Gotta fill the quota, can't go slow Huge machinery wiping out the scenery. One big swipe like a shearer's blow. Rip, rip,
1: wood chip, turn it today into paper. welcome to Throw Roundabout, it in the a show that's all no about politics, society, today. and the people that Night make the world turn. This show is proudly part of the Oscars Network, where you can hear I other great or shows or like the Yeager podcast and Hong Kong Confidential. This show is also recorded on the land of the Wajak people of Perth region, and they pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Uh, my name's Andrew Pierce, and thank you very much for joining in on this particular episode, especially the first episode of Roundabout. And for this first episode of Roundabout, I want to touch on something that's affecting all of us, climate change. It's something that undeniably exists in the world, yet, well, we have leaders who reject the notion that climate change is a major issue in today's society. After all, you have Trump opening up protected regions of America for fossil fuel exploration, and closer to home in Australia, you have current Prime Minister Scott Morrison taking a chunk of coal into the House of Representatives. Now, that occurred long before Scott Morrison benefited from overthrowing the previous Prime Minister and, well, the man who said that he would not lead a party who was dedicated on combating climate change as he was, uh, well, Malcolm Turnbull. Turnbull was ousted partially because of the undercurrent of anti-clean energy members in the coalition, those who were vocal about the potential of the NEG. The National Energy Guarantee. What a great attractive name that is. Later in this episode, I'll share the interview I did with Jordan Osmond, co-director of the documentary Living the Change. A film that looks to New Zealand to see how some of citizens are changing their houses, their lives and their towns to be green and clean. Everything from creating living supermarkets where a backyard is turned into an edible jungle of greenery that nourishes the occupants of the house to green poo. Well, what that is, is outdoor toilets that allow the occupants to reuse their poo as fertilizer. So they eat and then they go and shit and then they turn that shit into fertilizer. Uh, They do explain in the film that, you know, they they do it in such a way that it is not going to cause illnesses. Um... I'm still not convinced on that particular one, at least. I'm not going to be starting to build an outdoor toilet for myself to uh, do that with. Anyhow, living the change. It takes a look at how people can make a small change in their life to reduce the footprint on the world. And after all, isn't that something we need to do more of? Isn't it important to try and lead a clean life? This may be easier said than done, especially for those who are time poor or financially strained. I'm thinking of single mothers with two kids, for example, living in a rental property by themselves, trying to work full-time, organize dinners, and raising the next generation. It's not easy for people in this situation to make a change in the world. Sure, we stopped using plastic bags and we stopped using straws, but there is still a huge amount of things that can be done to live a greener life. It's easy to look at the removal of plastic bags from day-to-day life as the one-and-done thing that will stop climate change in its tracks. And for many, that may be the extent of what they'll do to live a green life. But plastic bags and straws are such a small thing in the grand scheme of of the waste that humans are creating. These single-use items are so prevalent in society that it's almost impossible not to engage with them on a day-to-day basis. It's horrifying how much waste we can create in a week. I recently did a test of gauging how much waste I created in a week. Now, for full clarity, I live by myself, but I have three dogs and a cat. Okay, so, you know, they I didn't factor in their waste, uh, mostly with the cat. She has her own waste in the sense that, you know, uh, she gets a packet of food twice a day. So it's two sachets of food twice a day. Uh, you know times that by seven days and that's 14 days and sometimes the dog gets in eats her food so she'll sometimes have three in one day and Sometimes she doesn't eat it and so that that compounds in itself and You know it, it, to to kind of sidetrack for two seconds here the old adage of the best thing that you can do uh, on this planet Earth uh, to essentially stop your impact is to not have kids and that does kind of extend to not having pets as well because, you know, the amount of waste that a cat certainly creates in itself is a, a mammoth thing. Same with dogs too. They, they create a bunch of waste themselves. But I'm not incorporating that into this discussion at least this time. I'm sure I'll touch on that again in a future episode, no doubt. So I did a test where I gauged how much waste that I created in a week, me personally, uh, for myself. And I set aside all of the plastic that I used in one week to see what was left over. And it was immense. It was about two buckets full. I then went about reducing that plastic waste and choosing recyclable items. Now I'm talking about paper-based items, uh, not plastic-based recyclable items. So cardboard and and paper things. And if I couldn't get something in a paper box or, or, or cardboard box or something like that, then I didn't get that item or I found an alternative. Within a few weeks, I was able to have a waste free week, meaning that all my waste that I had in that week was either compostable or recyclable. And I didn't put the green bin out that week because I didn't have any green bin waste that week. Even the the cat waste that I had that week, I was so minimal that it was no point in actually putting the bin out. So with that in mind, how do you reconcile being green on a budget when you're living a mad hectic life? Well. What I did was, I bought things that helped reduce the amount of single use waste that I would have when I shopped. So, what I did was, I picked up produce bags from Anya Bags that allowed me to get loose vegetables and fruit without having to stick them in a plastic bag. And Anya, which is O N Y A, uh, and I'll stick a link in the show notes for this particular company. I don't have shares or anything, but I do think they. They create great products. Uh, it's an Australian-based company, and they do some fantastic stuff. And I also picked up from Anya a bread bag, which meant that instead of buying pre-packed loaves of bread, I was heading to the baker to get freshly baked bread, which in turn meant that I was eating a healthier, well, healthier bread. And, you know, it was fresher, and I sat there, and I actually ate it because it tasted better, and, and the quality of the bread was better than your sun-blessed or whatever, uh, you know, Type of bread that you could usually get at the shopping market. And on top of that, I also picked up some beeswax wraps to replace using glad wrap or plastic wrap for my sandwiches. And these wraps are able to be reused over and over with a mere rinse under the warm water, giving them a refresh. And the way that they work as well is that you put your sandwich in there and you wrap it up and then um, apply a little bit of warmth and it it adheres to itself. It's not sticky or anything like that and actually doesn't uh, cause your food to smell funny or, or leave a mark on your food or anything like that. Uh, and they have nice patterns on them too. So it looks fancy. And then you'll get people at work going, what's that you've got your sandwich wrapped up in? You'll be able to say, that's a beeswax wrapper. And tell them all about how you're living a clean and edgy life. And yeah, it looks nice. It's cool. So I also stopped using plastic water bottles. I bought myself a Sig bottle, one of those metal bottles. I got them on eBay. It's probably not an even official one, but it's regardless, it's a... Uh, you know, a metal bottle, which I give a rinse out once a week. I know that it says it doesn't build up mold and all that kind of stuff, but I'm not convinced. Uh, But regardless, you know, that's what I use for my water bottle. And I find that I actually drink a little bit more water as well because I have it sitting there instead of, you know, going off and getting a glass of water or having a bottle of water. I go off and I actually fill up that water bottle and I drink it. And, you know, it's, it's being used at least on top of that i also got a reusable coffee cup too which you know is a no-brainer you know if you're drinking coffee from you know the barista or anything like that get yourself a reusable coffee cup and you can get personalized ones and things like that and you know if you're a west coast eagles supporter you can probably get a uh, you know a, a coffee cup that's got a west coast Eagles thing on to show that you are big fans of them for having won the flag On top of that, I also bought a green power switch which allowed allowed me to plug in energy draining items and switch them off once I'd finished using them so they weren't being zombie power drains and escalating my energy usage when I wasn't using them. I made sure to also turn off my microwave when I wasn't using it as well. Now, those energy draining items, I'm talking about the TV and your PlayStation, your gaming consoles and things like that. And I know that a lot of the gaming consoles nowadays with the Xbox One and PS4 and stuff like that have power saving features built into them. And they are also intended so that when you are using, you know, not using your particular console, you've got it resting or sleeping or, um, you know, snooze mode essentially uh it can download updates and things like that or or you know do things while you're not actually using it so it's it's you know it sounds like a nice feature but that's still using energy and you know while it's nice uh to be able to wake up and turn on your PlayStation and find that your game's been updated overnight um now Like, even with the NBN, it doesn't take that long to actually download updates. Um, And I find that most of the time, if I'm downloading an update at least, I will watch something else while it's happening. Uh, It usually only takes 10, 15 minutes instead of the old couple of hours that it used to. And so I find that there's no need to have it set to sleep mode overnight. So I have that switched off. So my home entertainment system is plugged into this... uh, this green power switch, which I essentially just turn off at night when I finish watching the TV and turn it back on in the morning. And it's pretty good. Uh, everything else, as I was saying, my microwave is turned off. Um, so, pretty much when I'm not at home or I'm asleep, the only two things that are on are the modem and my fridge. That's it. Everything else is turned off at the wall or via a green power switch. These are all pretty basic things, but they're very small things that can make a change. Other things is opting to buy your fruit and veg from local produce centers or small green grocers, and if possible, even hit up farmer's markets. These places are often cheaper and are often directly from the farmers themselves, rather than going through a bunch of avenues to hit your local supermarket, uh, You know, in, uh, also being sprayed in a bunch of different chemicals and stuff like that, and possibly even got needles in there if you're buying strawberries uh, and you're in Australia. If you're cleaning at home, have a look for some easy non-toxic homemade recipes. It's pretty simple. You put a a Google search in and and you can find it. I I will stick a link uh, in the show notes as well with some suggested ones that I've used at least in the past. Uh, Often these are with items that you've already got in your house as well, such as bicarb soda or vinegar or lemon. Uh, They're cheap. Easy to make and less of a strain on the environment. And, you know, if you've got a little bit of lemon as well, it kind of makes your house smell nice too, Uh, rather than that manufactured, you know, smell that that the cleaning utensils and stuff have that you usually buy or the cleaning sprays. If you can as well, outside of the home, Try and use public transport as much as possible. This in itself will usually help get your exercise minutes up as well, as you'll likely have to walk to the bus stop or the train station, and will also be less of a strain on your car as well, reducing the cost for vehicle maintenance and day-to-day fuel consumption. So helping save a little bit each day. I personally use public transport to get to work every day. Uh, It costs me about $30 a week, um, perfectly fine. Uh, it used to cost me about 70 or 80 bucks a week with petrol and as well as parking and now it's not so much. It's it's good, you know, and I'm finding that I'm actually getting 30, 40 minutes of walking in a day as well because I'm using public transport, having to walk to the bus stop, walk to the train station, from the train station to work, work back to the train station, things like that. So, you know, it's a bit of a, a luxury for some, but I find it's really good and if you Trying to do exercise, especially as summer comes along, may as well, you know. On top of that, as uh, we're in spring, heading into summer, um, you can. Oh, sorry, not not spring, heading into summer. Uh, Yeah, we are hitting spring into summer. I'm getting my uh, northern hemisphere uh, seasons mixed up with my southern hemisphere. Um, You can also set yourself up a vegetable garden. Now's the time to do it. They're easy to do and a lot of fun once they get going. They're often extremely cheap. And if you've got kids, it'll get them out in the sun with their fingers in the soil. It's also highly beneficial for your mental health as well as getting your fingers in touch with the earth helps revitalize you in some ways. Not entirely sure how, but I know that when I feel, you know, I get out there and I do a bit of gardening and and tidying up and all that kind of stuff, some weeding and planting vegetables and things like that. I've currently got uh, zucchini, uh, capsicum, and some pumpkin and some tomatoes growing. I'll see how well they go. I'm not sure. I'm hopeful, but I'm not sure exactly how well they go, but fingers crossed. I know that when I'm out there doing that, I feel much better after being out in the garden. Uh, whether it's being out in the sun or just touching the soil and things like that, it's great. It, it makes me feel good. On top of this, put up a no junk mail sign in your mailbox and swap out using paper towels for washable cloths. Pretty simple, especially if you, you're using your, your homemade cleaning utensils and stuff like that. Um, you know, you, you can just give them a rinse and you're using less of the uh, the paper towels, which is unnecessary, really. There's no need for it. Um, maybe, you know, it might you might be washing more cloths and stuff like that. But, you know, personally, I've used a washcloth and had no issues at all. As long as you're not using it in, like, food production areas, I guess, is the main problem. Uh are the main thing, basically. Um, but basically, these are all small things which really, they don't impact much in your day-to-day life. And hopefully, will help you make that small step towards living a greener life. As a project, I recommend setting aside your single-use waste that you produce in a week and then assess the pile and see what waste you can cut out and swap out for greener items. Again, as I was saying before with dogs and cats and kids and things like that, that's, uh, that's not so easy and you might find that it's going to be hard when you've got dogs and cats and kids uh, to reduce that green waste. And that's why I say that I, you know, knowing this bears repeating that a green life is still a luxury for some. For those who are time poor or cash poor, it's hard to set up a vegetable garden or set aside 20 bucks to buy a bag to put bread in because that's how much a bag to put bread in costs when really you're buying a loaf of bread at the supermarket and it's like two bucks, 53 bucks, maybe $4 if you're splurging on special bread, but you're not paying for that plastic bag that the bread is in, you're paying for the bread itself. So having to buy a seemingly on paper, at least an extraneous product like a bread bag seems like a bit much but it works out in the end because you're actually getting healthier bread and the bread's going to last longer and you're using less plastic. That's what I tell myself at least. I know that, you know, my sister had a a kid last year and having seen my nephew grow up and the amount of waste that a baby creates in a day is immense. It's almost impossible to cut out single-use items with a kid, especially with diapers and their food consumption as well. With the majority of kids' food being stored in plastic or single-use plastic items like yogurt sachets or jars of baby food, it's really hard to reduce all of that and live a green life with kids. You know, and they eat a bunch as it is as well. You, you're kind of forced into having to buy all of these kinds of things because that's what baby food is like. And it's, you know, as I was saying, come back to that scenario of the single mum, two kids trying to work a full-time job, it's very hard for her to try and make baby food and you know that's going to hit all the nutrients and all that kind of stuff and you know it's it's not easy basically it's not easy at all on top of this if you're cash poor well you'll likely have to buy items that come wrapped up in a bunch of single-use plastics items that are created for ease of use really you know like uh pre-made meals and things like that or packet noodles and you know if you look at your packet of uh, 55 cent one packet of 55 cent me goreng noodles for example you've got the plastic on the outside the noodles on the inside and about four different sachets in there so that one food item has caused so much plastic waste and you know it tastes good but you're gonna need two packets of me goreng just to touch the edges of your stomach so i don't know about you but i usually have to have three or four and It's a lot of waste that you've created just for one small meal that's not nutritional at all. Uh, It doesn't really fill you up. And, you know, yes, it's cheap, but what benefits are you getting out of it nutritionally? And look at the waste that you're creating. However, you know, if you're a university student, it's a lot easier said than done to say, hey, don't have me goring noodles go and buy yourself one packet of proper noodles and make your own me goring that way spend the money and stuff like that when university student may not even have the money to do that i don't have the answer as to how to address being green with a cash poor time poor life but i can say that taking small steps in small ways you know you you are essentially doing a lot to reduce your footprint around the world so I know I, I, I said, you know, hey, stopping the use of plastic bags, straws, and balloons may not do much, but it is important. And while we all need to do more in a green life, sometimes that's all our lives can permit. You know, I I find it very difficult. We, we, we are in this kind of difficult point in our lives where you know we are trying to reconcile with the actions of the past and the way that society has been built up in the past with all of these single use items this capitalism and stuff like that and i'm not trying to make this show into an anti-capitalist show uh, although that certainly will permeate through the seams of it no doubt about that but it's it's hard to live in this world and try and change it while we have to continue going on in this world as it is, as it's been established. It's hard to change everything from a small point of view, but from little things, big things grow. And small, it it, it doesn't take much to show that, hey, because it goes into, a, you know, it broaches into veganism because of the, the impact that it has on the world's fisheries and things like that. And also the global impact that it has you know, on a green scale. That's one thing that I've done to help reduce my impact on the world. And I know that there's a lot of talk about uh, taking meat out of your diet completely. Now, I like meat a little bit too much to be able to completely take that out, but I do at least uh, for meals, for dinner, uh, three to four times a week, I have purely vegetable-based meals, and then the other nights I'll have meat-based meals which doesn't sound like much, but it's at least reducing it in a little way. Um, again, this is easier said than done. Sometimes it's a lot easier for, for people who you know, are comfortable. And I, I'm not saying I'm comfortable, but you know, I'm, I'm certainly uh, in a more beneficial position than some people are. And because I'm just cooking for myself, it's a lot easier as well. I don't have other people to consider. It's just me. Uh, unless the dogs want to get some of the scraps afterwards. And, and then I have to decide whether they enjoy that or not. But on top of this, you, you have one last thing that you can actually do. And it's not hard. It's not hard at all, especially uh, in Australia. In the next six months, we'll be having one of these. And in America, in November, you guys will be having some as well. You'll be having what's called midterm elections. I don't entirely understand what they are, um, but I'm just a humble Australian. uh, And we don't have midterm elections. We have federal elections, which occur you know, every few years or so, depending on when a prime minister decides to pull an election. Um, But basically, by May next year, we will have a federal election. And when this happens, one of the things that you can do is to poll or email or get in contact with your local representative, your local member of parliament, or the person who is going to be putting their name on the ballot and asking them what they're going to do about climate change. And Seeing what their reaction is and asking them, you know, basically putting it to them and saying, hey, we need action on climate change. What are we going to do to help make that happen? And you can let them know and say, look, if you aren't going to support a action on climate change, then you will not get my vote. And. One of the key things is that, yeah, okay, when we're voting for people, they, there are a multitude of different reasons why we vote for somebody. They, they have policies, they have, uh, you know, things that they stand for that we, we need to go, all right, I agree with them in this, I disagree with them on that. But I don't think that, you know, certainly in Australia, at least, I don't think that we have time to spare with climate change. Well, actually, I don't think. I know we don't have time to spare on climate change. Australia does not have a climate change policy. It's surprising. It's, it's terrifying that we don't have climate change policy. Because back when Julia Gillard was Prime Minister, she tried to bring in a carbon tax, which was called a carbon tax because that was was what the Liberal Party kept on pushing her to call it. Essentially, it was not called a carbon tax to begin with. It was called a carbon emissions trading scheme. But a carbon tax has a negative connotation to it. Now, the carbon emissions trading scheme actually worked. It worked. Before it was cancelled by the Tony Abbott government, it showed to work. And, you know, we could have had a great climate change uh, policy from that. But Tony Abbott is a person who has uh, previously said that coal was good for humanity and stands by fossil fuels, uh, just like his buddy Scott Morrison does. And neither of them, are Malcolm Turnbull, who you know was not a man who was able to stand behind his words, and I believe that was partially because he was dragged down by the far right of his, of well, not his party anymore, but of the Liberal Party and the Nationals, uh, which joined together to call a coalition. So you know you can look at your representatives when it comes up at election time and assess whether they are people who are actually going to be able to make a difference with climate change. Uh, And on top of that, Get in touch with your local representatives. I know I used to be in the city of Fremantle and the city of Fremantle is establishing a solar farm, which will hopefully help out with some of the suburbs in the city of Fremantle. And they're looking at other green ways of reducing uh, energy uh, usage and things like that. And one of the green ways that they were doing that was establishing a... You know, trees and things like that. Huge trees out the front of people's houses. Now, these are just small trees at the moment, but when they grow up, they'll be able to provide shade for the house. So during the summertime, the house is using less electricity because it's cooler. Simple thing like that. It doesn't take much to plant a tree out the front of your house or plant a tree around your house to help keep it cool and keep it shaded. You know, and that's another thing that you can do as well. If you've got blinds, keep your blinds shut during the daytime in the summertime and they will help keep the, the warmth out and you'll have to use your air conditioning less because the house is much cooler. Now, when you've got a 40-degree day, that doesn't always work, but still, that's one small way that you can effectively reduce your energy output. But yeah, get in contact with your local, you know, your your, your city councilors, uh, your, your local... Basically, your suburb representatives, whoever's your your councillor in your area, get in touch with them. Find out what you can do in a green way. Uh, Find out what you can do to help out and what kind of programs are around. One of the things that's touched on in this documentary, Living the Change, is that one of the people got in touch with her local council and said, hey, why don't we set up a repair booth once a month and get people who are tech savvy or who know how to work with electronics and things like that to set up stations so that people can bring their broken toasters or broken microwaves or broken irons and stuff like that along to get repaired. You know, instead of throwing them out, get them repaired. Because, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, people used to repair small items like toasters and things like that. Maybe they were more expensive back then. I haven't done the research, but You know, we we live in a day and age where we buy something. You look at an iron and you go, well, that's $50. Oh, the iron stopped working. So I'm going to just chuck it out and get a new one. But that's a whole item that actually could possibly be repaired. And as I was saying in this documentary, they set up these repair booths and you've got people who are carpenters coming along and repairing wooden things that need to be fixed or electronics that needs to be fixed. Why can't we do more of that? If that sounds like an idea that you might be interested in or you might have the skills to be able to do, then get in contact with your local council and say, hey, I have these skills. Do you think it's possible for us to establish a day where people can bring their items and for a gold coin donation, they can uh, get items repaired for free or things like that? I know when I moved to the city of Melville, which I currently live in now, uh, they had giveaways of of saplings and trees and things like that. So councils are certainly looking to do those kinds of things and working on a small scale to help reduce energy output and to live a greener life. Uh, Because I know that certainly as as the, in Perth at least, the outpush of uh, suburbs into the the further areas, the the further outer areas, which are clearing a lot of... uh, you know, mature trees and things like that. Houses no longer have trees and, and, and essentially are just freestanding buildings that are covered in sun. They're drenched in sun all day long. And so you've got a whole suburb that is full of that or, or kilometers of suburbs that are just full of these places that have no trees. And so it's just this sinkhole of heat that gathers heat throughout the summertime. And even in, this, in the wintertime as well, just gathers heat. And that's disturbing. It really is disturbing that this kind of thing exists because it shouldn't exist. It shouldn't be like that. We should have nice mature trees and cool houses and, you know, we want to live comfortably. And that's the thing with these single-use items. They're designed to help us live comfortably. They're designed to help us live a easier life. But that's not always possible. And we need to reassess how we are living and say, we need to change. We need to make a change. I think that's enough of me. Uh, You know, certainly you've probably had green energy bashing in your head all day and all night. uh, Because that's the world that we live in nowadays. You know, and dealing with climate change is a terrifying thing. Because, you know, who knows where we'll be in 50 years time. And especially like in Indonesia, unfortunately, just recently there was another tsunami. And we've got all of these things that are affecting the world, you know, more earthquakes, more tsunamis, more volcanoes and all that kind of stuff, which weren't as active as they used to be. I mean, we had an earthquake just recently in Western Australia. Now, it's not as devastating as it has been in, say, New Zealand, for example, but, uh, you know, these things are, are pretty, pretty terrifying. And what about San Andreas Fault? You know, when's that going to happen again? Uh, not to alarm any of the American listeners, but, you know, when's that going to happen again? So these are these are things that are really pressing on us. And, you know, I talk a little, I will talk a lot about it in this particular show, as I have done for the past half hour. And I will do as I, I talk with Jordan Osmond, uh, who's the co-director of Living the Change. And, you know, I, I hope you get something out of this. I hope you, you go, oh, I didn't think of that before. Maybe I will do, and it probably isn't going to be that hard to implement that into my life. If you're curious about checking out this film, Living the Change, then heading over to livingthechangefilm.com. I'll stick a link in the show notes. Um, And at the very end of the interview, uh, Jordan mentions about a YouTube channel as well, which I'll stick a link in the show notes for uh, you guys to check out. In the meantime, have a listen to the trailer and see if this is a film that you're interested in watching. It's available on Google Play and iTunes. It's only a couple of dollars to watch. It's really interesting. There's a lot of great people talking about things that you can actually do in your life to change over things. And I found it really interesting and I got a lot from it. Hopefully you will too. Being sustainable is not just a nice thing to do. Being unsustainable isn't just a bit unfortunate. It is an existential threat to our species. We actually need to do something about it or we're gone.
2: There are no real issues. We can solve all of them. I woke up one morning and jumped out of bed without even being conscious yet, saying, I'm gonna start a local currency
1: sort of out of necessity I started this organic waste collection. Instead of that all going into a hole in the ground it gets returned back to the soil. We did this crazy thing where we thought right we're going to try and make no rubbish for the entire year.
0: We teach the children how to grow everything themselves and we harvest what they've grown and turn it into lunch. 23 years ago we started developing the food forest system here. We've got
1: Uh, 480 different species of plants at last count. The powerful thing is that with regenerative agriculture we can not only produce an abundance of food but we can do it in a way that regenerates the land, that sequesters carbon, that nurtures and supports biodiversity. The ecological crisis comes from treating the earth as an other, as just a bunch of stuff. If we really were in love with the planet and incorporated that love into all of our systems, we would not have an ecological crisis. This used to
2: be a pastoral desert.
1: Mm. was this grass.
2: Yeah, and this is what people can do. You can create heaven on earth.
1: You've probably had those moments of despair where you think it's just hopeless and the world is always gonna be this way, but there's also maybe more of a heart knowing that understands that a more beautiful world is possible.
2: So you're based I'm based on the road now. I've just kitted um, out a camper van and um, since, since last Saturday I've just been um, yeah, living in it now. It's right. my home. I'm wow. um, in Lawn at the moment. I've just been going on the Great Ocean Road.
0: Oh, lovely. That's a really nice part of the world.
2: Oh, it's incredible, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, beautiful part. So what, what what drove you to moving into living in a camper van? Was it part of living that lifestyle of, of trying to live a green lifestyle?
2: Yeah, that was part of it, definitely. Um, I was considering renting a place in Melbourne. Um, that was kind of my initial plan when I came back to Australia. But then um, the idea of living in a van is, been something that's been on my mind for the last few years and I've done it a little bit on like, you know, for a month at a time or so, but I've never done it full-time and so, and I've never done it in a van um, that is actually kind of set out and comfortable um, (laughs) for living in full-time, so that was something I really wanted to do and that's what I decided was the best move for me instead of um, pouring my small earnings into paying rent,
0: yeah,
2: uh, being stressed about money each week I thought now I'm going to put that into something that I own and it's um, can't be taken away and um, yeah there's the element of I guess resilience in that Um, and also living minimally like I don't like to have a lot of stuff and the thought of like needing to buy furniture for an apartment was like I don't really want to have to do that Um, and yeah, it just kind of suited what I wanted to do. You know, I need to travel to do filming, so I would have had to have some kind of setup like this anyway um, for shooting. So I thought, well, I might as well just make it a full-time thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a it's an interesting idea, and it's something that I think, you know, I'm, I'm sure probably more people will embrace that kind of that transient lifestyle in the sense that, you know, Australia is not a hard place to get around and. I know that in America, quite a few people, mostly retired people, tend to do it. Um, mm-hmm. it you know, it reduces your footprint in a lot of ways in and in a very interesting way as well. Um, yeah. Which I think, you know, like my, you know, it's great. It's nice to see you doing that as well, yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the footprint is an interesting one because that was part of it as well, is that, um, yeah, there's the conflict of I'm dri- driving a petrol-powered car, but then all the other areas of my my life are so much um, so much less needed. For example, energy. Like, I've got a few solar panels on the roof and a battery, and I can charge my phone, my camera, my computer. I've got lights in here. I can power a little fridge. Like, the amount of energy that uses is minute compared to, like, an average person in a normal house. Same with um, heating and cooling. Like, I don't have an air conditioner in here. I have... You know, I've got the windows that wind down and that kind of thing. Um, and, yeah, water usage, like, I'm so mindful of how much water I use because I can't carry a lot in here. So, you know, every litre is valuable. So all those other areas really makes you reduce your impact overall.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've, I've recently moved house, and one of the things which I found was, you know, like just as as you're saying you know going out and buying all this new furniture and stuff like that and um one of the things i found really interesting about the documentary is talking about the extra stuff that comes with all the things that you buy and i found that you know going to ikea and stuff like that and buying a new table and everything comes with a whole bunch of of extra waste that's in there that you just like uh if only i'd known that i mean obviously you know that beforehand but if only I'd actually thought about it and then I could have thought out something that um, maybe was secondhand or something like that. But uh, I was surprised at how much extra waste and stuff like that was associated with just flat pack items and things like that. I, it's mm. amazing how much waste that we create, uh, you know, in just a, a day or a week. It's, it's nuts. And um, I think, you know, certainly one of the things which I took away from the documentary was being more conscious about what we create in a daily basis and and what we put out in a daily basis and how we can how we can change that um was that something that was really kind of important for you to to do with this particular documentary
2: yeah that's that's really great to hear that um yeah when Antoinette and i made the film we wanted to it was it was a look at what individuals can do um, change needs to happen on all levels, not just the individual. It needs to happen on the governmental level and uh, business level. But this is more so focused on individuals and getting people to think about their impact and also making them feel empowered that your decisions actually do make a difference. It's so easy to think of these big issues like climate change as something that's way beyond any um, Way beyond your reach that you can't do anything to contribute to that. Whereas we, our approach for the film was like everyone's actions collectively make all the difference. Um, you can point the finger at like fossil fuel companies as the people who are the you know evil or whatever, and you know they do some horrible practices, but you know they are in existence because people buy their products, and um, so, for example, with the with the waste thing, with you know buying your I, I, IKEA furniture, it's hard to to feel like your decisions have an impact because it's so hidden. All the embodied energy and waste and resources that go into pretty much anything. Our, in our society, is really hidden. Like you, we don't know where most of our food comes from. We don't know how far it's travelled. What uh, chemicals are sprayed on the during the growing of it? It's all obscured, and it just arrives in the supermarket looking like perfect, you know, picture perfect item. Mm. Same with um, kind of yeah, your the the furniture. Don't know where it comes from. Don't know what it's made of. It's all hidden. So. I hope with the film was that after watching it, people would feel, they would pick up on one element of it and feel like here's an area of my life where I can make a difference. Here's where I can start making a change because it's a process and you can never do everything overnight. So if someone watches the waste section of the film and thinks, well, I'm actually, you know, putting out a big rubbish bag once a week, maybe I can reduce that by half. Maybe that's the thing I want to tackle. So Definitely, it was making people feel like your decisions have an impact, and your the changes you make do make a difference.
0: Well, yeah, I think I think certainly something that I've come away from with that, and and you know I've been conscious of what my footprint is on the world and things like that, and certainly from you know I've, I've got three dogs and a cat, and from that perspective, like I'm. I find, and it's it's quite amusing in a way. I, I found that the the most of the waste that I actually create in a week uh, is associated with them, like the food that I give them and stuff like that. Um, you know, the, the little packages and cats obviously are very fussy creatures as well. So uh, you go through a bunch of different food trying to make sure that you've got the right one for them, and and you just end up with a whole bunch of extra waste, which. You know, I've, I've tried to reduce it down as much as possible, and it's it's hard. But, um, you know, once you actually get into the groove of it, it, it then becomes a heck of a lot easier than than it initially seemed. Uh, so it's yeah. nice to see that, you know, there are people out there who have integrated this into their lives and in a really uh, intuitive way. Um, so I found that great. And one of the things I think I came away from asking is that, you know, obviously, in Australia at least, uh, lately we've had this huge uh, debate about plastic bags, single-use plastic bags and things like that. And that in itself has, has been a bit of a uh, dilemma with Coles and Woolworths and all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, not doing ex- exceptionally good job. But I do wonder if, uh, you know, society as a whole kind of looks at, look, I've stopped using plastic bags, so therefore I've done my part. Um, Was that something that you encountered coming, like, as you were doing research for it, that people thought that they were doing something because they had eliminated one particular thing out of their lives, but really their footprint was still pretty large?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what we also wanted to explain the film was to be solutions focused. So 80% of the film is about the solutions and... yeah, 20% is about the issues. So the first 20 minutes of the film, we talk about the big crises the world is facing. And we wanted to be honest about that and not sugarcoat it and not, um, yeah, not come at it with the point of view that by using uh, a cloth bag instead of a paper bag that the world's going to change. That's part of it, but I feel the issues are big and... They can be scary and I think it's important to um, to be honest about that and recognize it because then real change comes out of that you're not going to have meaningful change by kind of kidding yourself that just doing just not using plastic bags will stop climate change It's an important part of it and it will have a big impact but many things will contribute to this change that we have to go through and seeing yeah I I found it quite depressing seeing the response in supermarkets on this issue like seeing that coals backflips after apparent um, people getting upset that they couldn't have their plastic bags like that was, was I was quite despairing about that like from my point of view I feel an urgency and a seriousness about the issues like climate change like uh, and, and peak oil and these kinds of things. And to think of some, something as simple as plastic bags is an issue that we can't even overcome was, yeah, was a bit depressing. Yeah, but, yeah. but I think, you know, culture changes slowly. It's It, it can be a bit of a... Uh, I find it myself anyway. I feel like, you know, things need to happen quickly and that would be ideal, but that's not really how things work that's not how humans are wired so I think it will be a slow process of change um, and I think it's going to be up to the people who who understand the problems at the moment who are in a position to make meaningful change in their lives who are really going to push the culture forward and really help everyone else along along this journey because you know it's easy for me to make these changes because it's just me. I don't have kids. I don't have pets. You know, um, it is simpler for me to decide. Okay, I want to reduce the amount of plastic. I feel for like single parents who don't who work a full time job who don't have time to think about that. It's kind of a luxury to for me anyway to research these issues and think about solutions and um, and make changes. And I think people who do have the opportunity, like me, um, who do have the time and the energy to make change, um, it's really important that those people, um, yeah, lead lead the charge, I guess, and then help everyone else along that journey too.
0: Mm. I, and I think, I, I'm glad that you say that as well, because one of the things which I noted, like you do have a, 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 an interesting cross-section of people that, that talk about what they're doing in their community or in their house and uh, in making a, a change and an impact. Um, but what I found was that some of the, the people were certainly a lot more econo- economically stable uh, before they actually embarked on it than a lot of people are. And that, and that's for me, is one of the huge challenges is that, you know, as you're saying, the single parents and, and things like that, you know, uh, my sister's just had a kid and looking at the amount of... Uh, plastic and, and waste is created simply from, you know, baby food, small size baby food and stuff like that, which is phenomenal. Um, it's got to be really hard for people who are, are on a budget and, uh, you know, trying to make a change in, in some particular ways. But in turn, you show people who are doing their part in their community by, you know, setting up, you know, pop-up shops to, to help people repair items and things like that. So there is that answer of, you know, yes, okay, you may not have a million bucks, but here is a way that you might be able to help and and give back to society in some way. Um, So I was was pleased to see that you kind of covered both areas in in a lot of ways because um, to me at least, uh, you know, when I guess the the whole uh, societal, slow societal change towards uh, taking action on climate change kind of began a few Well, it's been going for a long time, but for a few years ago, at least, um, it felt like, you know, everything was, you wanted, uh, you know, natural soap and stuff like that, it'd be 20 bucks and you want something that was green. It was, it had like a, almost like a green tax on it that that felt like a premium simply because it was a clean energy item. Um, And I, I hope that that's sort of coming down a little bit more. There's no real question there, but I'm just impressed that you've, you've covered both areas uh, in, in the documentary. So it's nice to see at least um, mm. the way that, that people are interacting with the community, um, you know, with no money and with a lot of money. And it shows that people can do a lot with a little.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, of course, having money and other resources makes it easier. And, like, we only had an hour and a half in the film, so we could have gone on for, 10 hours if we covered enough solutions. Um, And it's something that we continue to explore in our short films is people doing it at all levels. And it's important for um, people in any economic situation to make change and do the best they can. You know, if you have a million dollars, then, of course, you can buy land, you can grow food. um, But that doesn't mean that's the only way to access land like uh, Tom and Sarah in the film while Tom is a doctor and they are economically well off the living arrangement they have um, is kind of irrelevant to his career which is the work trade relationship with the landowners so they live on the land in exchange for working a few hours a week on the property and I see that quite a bit and there's more initiatives like that coming up where um, landowners want people on their land and they can work out some arrangement where maybe it's a small rent each week or maybe it is a work trade kind of arrangement um, there's a lot of creative solutions that are coming out and I think people, yeah, just just have to get creative if you don't have much money um, there, are, there are ways of, of making meaningful change, you just have to get creative and while things like organic food are more expensive um and it's a shame that they are because everyone deserves to eat food that's not chemically sprayed um i feel that as more people as that becomes more normal as as it doesn't become this kind of premium item the price will go down um but then there's also other ways to access good food through um like uh, crop swaps, so people who grow food can swap it with um, people who maybe don't have access to it or are growing something different. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a journey, but yeah, um, anyone on any level can can do this. But it definitely helps, you know, if you do have the resources, like time and money, to to make those changes.
0: Yeah, well, definitely it does, and and one of the things I I I've, I've found at least is that you know I, I was kind of gifted gifted in the sense that the place I've moved into uh, the people the previous people uh, did a terrible job of of maintaining a garden so it was uh, bare and empty and so I started planting a bunch of uh, fruit and vegetables and stuff like that to um, obviously to create my own food in a lot of ways and and the therapeutic aspect of it is is really nice and I, I like that you know people who have transformed their their gardens into essentially a living living supermarket in a lot of ways um Mm. is you know you see you can just see how it's affected them on a you know emotional level in the sense that it's it's therapeutically great to be able to walk out into a place and just pick up the food that you want and and that's it you know it's it's lovely so it's nice to see that you know even that is such a small thing that you can actually do for yourself uh, that will help reduce an impact, and you know you feel better after after it as well. So, well, I've certainly felt better after it and planting, you know, tomatoes and stuff like that, and seeing them grow and and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. It's nice. Um, so it's a small impact that you can do.
2: Yeah. Yeah,
0: I'm curious as well. So, you this is uh, obviously a feature length documentary. It's really interesting and and fascinating stuff. But you are mentioning about doing the short films as well. What what kind of uh, topics do you cover in the short film? Similar ground or um, other kind of green issues as well?
2: Yeah, so since 2015, we've been releasing short films to our YouTube channel. Um, we've got about 80,000 subscribers there now, so it's cool to see there's such an interest in, in these films. Um, and they range from about 5 to... 15 or 20 minutes Um, and they do cover similar areas of solutions focused what people are doing in different areas like um, it might be tiny homes or it might be permaculture gardening or food forests um, living simply so that's that's been a great kind of avenue to go more in depth of these for these uh, solutions like in living the change because we need to fit a lot in It's, um, you know, it's kind of like a brief snapshot of what these people are doing. Whereas in the YouTube videos, we can go a bit more in depth if we want to. So um, one of our, and we can explore, continue to explore lots of different um, people doing different, making different changes. So, for example, one of the, um, one of my favorite films, it might be my favorite film that was done that came out. Um, a couple of months ago. It's called Creatures of Place. And that's about a family who are technically living below the poverty line. They live on about $30,000 a year. Um, but they have a quarter acre of land in a small town and they've planted out veggie gardens. They forage their own firewood. They live super simply. Um, they build out of recycled materials. So there's so many stories like this out there that... Um, yeah, we're using the YouTube channel as the, the platform for, for sharing these more and telling these shorter snapshots while also doing longer-form projects like the feature films.
0: Yeah, no, that's really good. And, you know, YouTube, I know it gets a bit of flack sometimes and all this kind of stuff, but I think it's a fantastic platform for getting these kinds of stories out there and, you know, kind of getting around the uh, the release uh system in it well in Australia at least is is difficult to get short films seen uh, in a lot of places so you know YouTube's a fantastic place for that and it's it's great to hear that there are people out there who are watching and engaging with it as well um, mm. I'm curious uh, on on your travels in making these short films and the features um, what has been the biggest difficulty in kind of in dealing with exploring uh, you know, this kind of the, the green subject. Um, mostly I'm talking about, you know, unfortunately in Australia at least there is uh, certainly still a, a stigma about, you know, being, you know, green and, and, and trying to live a, a, a green lifestyle. Um, I don't know if that's a widespread thing or not, but I wonder if it's something that has affected you in the sense that, you know, when you, you go out to make these kinds of films that you've come up with some kind of resistance or anything like that?
2: Hmm. I mean, with the with these films, we're dealing with controversial topics in a way. Um, and since Antoinette and I are both new filmmakers, like we only started doing this a few years ago, um, so we've been learning each time. Um, but the feedback we've been getting is just overwhelmingly positive, and that's what's motivated us to keep going keep making more films but there are always people who might have an issue with some aspect of it who will type in the YouTube comments some uh, negative feedback and that's fine because we can read that and learn from it and do better next time but um, yeah like some some issues do crop up quite a bit Uh, the land access issue is quite a common one like people saying like in the film in living the change we see andrew's story who worked in finance and then bought some land and turned it into a food forest and people see that and some people see that and say like oh you know he's a millionaire who then can buy land and well what do what do the rest of us do and kind of like it kind of like dismisses his all his work and i don't think that's helpful at all but there's this sometimes people can feel a bit like um, oh this I can't do this this isn't for me so that's something we've tried to um, address in the new films we've been making the the idea that um, people in those positions are privileged and you know recognizing that they're in a fortunate position Mm -hmm. and not everyone can do what they're doing, but can do in a different way. So that's kind of one area where there might be some criticism. Um, In terms of kind of, um, I guess, a resistance to green thinking, um, not, not hugely. Okay. Probably because, we are still trying to break into more mainstream audiences. So at the moment, kind of our audience, you know, it's the easiest audience is the people who are in some way kind of leaning towards, you know, I guess green thinking, who are wanting to make change, who are concerned about the issues, um, rather than getting in front of people who... You know, don't care about it at all, and have no idea, and um, who aren't interested. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's what we're trying to do with with Living the Change. Like, it's just got up on iTunes and Amazon and Google Play, um, some of these mainstream platforms, which help us reach a wider audience. So, um, it'll be interesting to see, yeah, what kind of discussion that generates when, um, I guess, maybe a wider audience um, comes in contact with it.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I certainly learned a lot from it. And, you know, I I also appreciated how visually beautiful it is as well. Like the the way that you shoot things in it is, is lovely. It, it's it's a really lovely looking film. And that in itself makes it, you know, the message is great to en- enjoy and, and engage with. But also it's something that's it's really nice to sit there and watch and, and look at uh, all the green, I guess, is the best way of putting it, because it's, uh, it's, You know, green's a beautiful colour, and uh, it's nice to see so much of it in here in the film. And it's nice to see people's uh, properties and land and the way that they're living life uh, shown in in a beautiful way. Um, So in all of the the filmmaking that you've done, what's the one thing that surprised you the most that you didn't expect? Uh, Because for me, I didn't expect the, the people who had essentially turned their toilet into a way of creating uh, fertilizer, which I thought was really interesting and, and you know, smart. But um, I didn't expect that. So that was a surprise for me. But I'm curious what surprised you.
2: Yeah, I guess when I first came across composting toilets, that was a bit of like, <laughs> a dark, like you can do that? all that that? <laughs> always concerns that come um, kind of along with first hearing about that. But, you no, know, composting toilets are great. Um, maybe something that surprised me is, the, how many people there are out there doing interesting things? Yeah, like, um, like when we were making Living the Change, a lot of the time we'd just kind of show up in a town and just talk to people. We might have one contact there, and then um, we'd film with them, and then they'd tell us about everyone else in the town who's doing something cool that you just don't see when you when you drive through or you know spend a couple of days somewhere there's kind of in every place is a big network of, or some network of people making changes and um, living, um, trying to live more sustainably. Yeah. So I think that's really encouraging for people who might feel like oh, I'm the only one in my small town who cares about this or I'm going to feel alone if I'm the only one growing veggies. Like, who am I going to share it with? Or, who, who do I get advice from? So, I think for people who might feel like that, just trying to find other people locally who are interested in it, and I'm, I'm sure it won't be—you'll be able to find a few people because, yeah, there's, there's people everywhere who are <laughs> who are making changes. Yeah. yeah, and it's great us as filmmakers because we don't run out of stories. <laughs>
0: No, that is fantastic, and it I, I guess in a way that it kind of reinforces the the line, which is you know it's such a it's a, such a common thing, but it is you know think global, act local. Uh, so it's nice to see that that is being employed so many different places. It's fantastic. Um, yeah, I've taken up a heap of your time, and I really appreciate it. Um, but I've just got one more question, which I guess is is something that um, I want to know what you like what your one thing that you want people to take away from living the change would be like if if there was one thing that that people could take away from that and implement to their lives what what do you recommend it would be
2: Mm. yeah i think if people could take away one thing from the film um i would love people to feel a sense of empowerment that their decisions make a difference and that your small actions day-to-day, how you choose to live your life, where you buy your food, whether you refuse a plastic bag, um, how much water and energy you use each day, that these things add up and do make a difference, That, um, that in the face of these big issues, it's easy to feel powerless, but your actions do contribute to making positive change and also helping you live a, you know, healthier life and a more resilient life as well.
0: Fantastic. That's, that's a great thing to end on. I, I really appreciate your time. It's been fantastic. It's been great watching uh, the film as well, and I'm looking forward to digging into the short films that are on the YouTube channel. What's the, the name of the channel as well?
2: I happen Films.
0: Great. And I'll, I'll make sure to share that and stick a link for, uh, on the social media for people to head over and seek out and, and watch yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be fantastic.
2: <laughs> yeah, thanks for the interview. It was really nice chatting.
0: Yeah, likewise. Uh, look, have a fantastic time over in Lawn as well. It's a beautiful place. And enjoy your, your travelling around in the, your new home as well. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, no Cheers. Okay. <laughs>
1: Thanks for listening to that interview with myself and Jordan Osmond. Hopefully you enjoyed it and got something out of the discussion about his documentary Living the Change. And head over to his YouTube channel as well, Happen Films, H-A-P-P-E-N Films. I'll stick a link for both of those in the show notes where you can uh, rent Living the Change and also check out that YouTube channel. Hopefully you got something from it. I I certainly enjoyed talking with him and I found it very interesting about how he is now living essentially a nomadic life uh, to live a green life. Uh, You know, it's uh, taking it to the extreme. If you enjoyed this show, please let me know. Hit me up at thecurbau at gmail.com. And alternatively, if you have any questions, you can hit me up there as well. Or suggestions for topics that you'd like to hear on Roundabout or any of the other shows which I run on The Curb. And I've got a bunch of different themed episodes as well, such as Context Sensitive, which is the video game podcast that I do. The Last New Wave, which is all about Australian cinema. Uh, Not a Knife, which is all about culture and also I've got another show coming up as well on the same RSS feed so you don't need to turn over to any other channel or anything like that and that is up down under which i will be recording very very soon the very first episode of that with a guy who hasn't recorded a podcast in a long time that's dave hart from pop culture case study if you guys have uh, used to listen to that show it was a fantastic show and he's one of the best guys i know and we'll be discussing two movies and the concept of that particular show is me introducing somebody from the northern hemisphere to something culturally australian whether it's a movie a book or some music And they, from the Northern Hemisphere, introduced me to something from their part of the world. Music, movie, a book, something like that. Hopefully it's an interesting uh, concept and hopefully it's something that's interesting and entertaining. Please let me know, uh, follow me on Facebook, CurbAU on Facebook and on Twitter, The CurbAU as well. And if you want to go the extra step and help make this show continue as it is, uh, head over to patreon.com forward slash The CurbAU to throw a dollar here and there. Some fantastic people already supporting the show and I really, really appreciate your help, guys. It, it makes the show continue going. Well, that's it from me. Hopefully you enjoyed this first episode of Roundabout. I enjoyed recording it and talking to people I'm um, you know, regarding it and things like that. And I'll see you on the next episode. Bye.
0: Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to auscastnetwork.com for details.